You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. As Janoris Jenkins made the catch, he stayed in bounds for the interception. Wow. What a play. Wow. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, I'm very excited tonight. A lot of you Giant fans are also Nick fans. I just walked out of Madison Square Garden after a rare win. So a couple of my teams are really good. A couple of my teams are really bad. So one of my really bad teams won tonight. Maybe one of my other really bad teams will win next Monday. Didn't happen yesterday, though, unfortunately. This week, baseball jumped over basketball for being uh, the the worst sport to watch. Basketball is now the, the lamest sport to watch. Baseball makes a minor step forward by having tits behind home plate at the World Series. <laughs> well, you should see the talent at the Garden. You might change your mind too. All so, right, well, <laughs> you know, if, if the beers at the Garden are, are nice and cheap, the, the talent just gets better and better. So, uh, Maybe I'll get you out there one day, Grump, and maybe we'll see you change your opinion. All right, so um, this misogynistic podcast is on iTunes, <laughs> SoundCloud, Spotify, and uh, you know wherever. So be sure to uh, downvote us for me being a fucking pig. Sorry. Yes. So Hef, what's your uh, what's your Twitter account? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, um, at football underscore grump, uh, and I tweet all things Giants. No- nothing related to anything else I was just talking about. Catch me at the Cranky Fan where I talk about everything, including our uh, – <laughs> our, our, I don't even know if they are our lovable New York football giants, but just our New York football giants. All right. So it, we say this every week, and I don't think people truly believe us, but we really don't talk about uh, games before we start this podcast. Uh, you know, a text no. message here or there, you know, when we're live, we get some fresh ideas, but, you know, they're not always the clearest because it's so raw. It's not necessarily based we- in fact. We do the show when we do the show. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And um, right before we started this, we had two very differing opinions on this game. So I, before we get into that, um, let's just preface this. Detroit wins 31 to 26. Um, and I thought that there was at one point a legitimate shot they were going to win this game. The Cranky fan thought there was, quote, no way they were going to win this game, which I think is out <laughs> outlandish. No way. I wasn't surprised they lost, but no way they were going to win while you were watching? Yeah. I, I. It's a growing sense of frustration, more so on the defensive side of the ball, where – I'm not in the camp of, well, fire Betcher because the defense sucks. I mean, we know all the problems with the defense. It's just, I'm, you know, we're a year and a half into Betcher's administration, and I still don't know what we are supposed to be on defense right now. I don't know what we're trying really to do. I, I just, I don't know. And I just, I was just watching the game, and it was like the third quarter. And I'm kind of like, it just seems like a bunch of guys just running around right now on defense and just out of position. And, you know, there's no real, you know, attempted manufacturer, a pass rush guys, you know, over the middle guys are open. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm in a very frustrated mood right now. And I just watching that game. I'm like, 
we're not going to come back and win this game. I, I don't know. Maybe a little more irrational fanness than anything, but sometimes you have a feeling they can come back in this or they're hanging with them. I just never got that sense. Okay, that, that's a very cogent and agreeable point, and I'm with you there. Um, defensively, mm-hmm. they are definitely younger, and it's not an excuse because it looks the same to me. I, I don't see much in the way of creative blitzing. Um, and when we do see that, it tends to work, which is why I don't understand. I mean, like, you know, we saw in the New England game, we saw Al Gogletree coming in on an, un, an, an a, like, I'm sure there's a smart person term for it that I at one time maybe knew, <laughs> maybe I didn't, but you know he kind of looped around from the mic position and uh, came in around the outside. So it's kind of like, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. He he just came all the way around. It's, it's a long developing blitz, and mm-hmm. uh, he got a nice sack of Brady. Um, you know, occasionally we see Grant Haley or or somebody come off the edge and. It usually results in a positive play for the defense, whether it be a sack or just a pressure that forces a bad ball or, or you know, whatever. We, we see the blitzing work. We just don't see blitzes more than like – and I mean creative blitzes. I don't mean just sending five guys. You know what I mean? Like, Right. We see it work often, you know, and, and sometimes it comes in in a run game. You know, we see the blitz come in. And, uh, you know, it's a stop for a loss. In general, I think the run game on defense looks okay. But in the pass game, it really does look like a guy's just kind of wandering around in, in zone coverage with, with people just obviously in soft spots. Well, let's let's kind of go back to the beginning. I mean, what was James Betcher's defense known for in Arizona? What was like his calling card? It To me, looked like a lot of creative blitzing. It, it looked like a lot of... I mean, he had the benefit of a very talented secondary um, with guys like Tyron Matthew and Patrick Peterson. But, I mean, you can't tell me – first of all, if your system's your system, then it doesn't matter what you've got on the field, right? Well, that, that, that's, this is where I'm getting at is yeah. that – you know, maybe we we've, we talked even last week about Pat Shermer. Was he really brought in here so much to win games right now, or right. was it to develop a future quarterback? James Betcher, on the other hand, was brought in to implement a system and not just a patchwork one or a short term one year until the next guy comes in. He was brought in here to bring in a system. He went so far as him and Gettleman have made a point of bringing in past players of this system to help with that transition. And, and, and my thing is that, you know, a year and a half into it, I don't see any of that implemented really. I, I except in little tiny little pits. And, you know, in addition to the veterans he brought in, he, there has been now two drafts of guys who are supposed to be fitting a system we're doing. And, you know, if there are going to be growing pains because, well, we don't have the right guys in this system, so be it. This team is two and six now as it is. Be, be two and six learning the system and playing within it and keep getting guys in it. And I don't see that. And that's what's frustrating to me more than, you know, guy a rookie getting burnt or a guy over the middle, a tight end beating us again. It's I don't feel like any of this is you know there's experience and there's experience that is something you can take from it and build on. And I don't feel like this defense is getting an experience that they can build on in the future. I just feel like we're spinning in circles right now. And I don't know how long 
you know, do you give that a pass to say new coaches, we're very young. I mean, there should be some, not even signs of improvement, but signs that the system is at least being adapted and being used. And I don't see it yet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And when I when I say B two or when you say B two and six, just let it fly. You know, to me that means let your system fly. Let, you know, use your plays. That doesn't mean Julian Love can't be worse than Antoine Bethea. Because to me, I don't know anything about Julian Love other than what I saw in the preseason, which wasn't much. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and be that guy because I see that a lot. Where he can't be worse. Yes, he can. People can be worse than what you see. And this is not the most pitiful Giants team that we've ever seen. No, no, no. And also, the, the to, to the point we've made on this show several times that what can be worse than we have now, it can get a lot worse. So, I mean, I think you know the the, the whole point of last year, this year, and even next year is take your lumps. Installing a system that you want to bring in for the future, keep bringing in guys to work within that system and let your young guys play and gain experience within that system. And we're not seeing that. That's what's frustrating. Now my frustration is starting to rise because we're halfway in the season. I I can agree with that. I will say the things that I've seen where where the defense looks good has been lately the run game. Uh, You know, a play here or there. I know people want to shit all over the Cardinals game because there were a couple runs of 20 so yards. But you know, for the most part, this run team is is pretty good. Um we've seen I mean, how how, how do you think of um the development of DeAndre Baker from week 1 to now? Oh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, indiv- Individually, we are seeing improvement on some things some of the time. And, and I'm You're not right. speaking of the system here because I think you have a great point about the system. And I, mm-hmm. I don't have a counter argument to that mm-hmm. because I agree with you. Um, but, I, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing is as this trade deadline comes up – and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I see a lot of people mm-hmm. saying that like we need to get rid of Alec Ogletree. I want somebody to find five plays from the past five weeks where Alec Ogletree was so egregiously bad that we need to get rid of him. Because I don't think he's playing that badly yeah. this year. I think he's playing fine. Do we need an upgrade at that position? Sure. If we get an offer for Al Ogletree that is good, should we take it? Absolutely. Do we need to be shopping him because he's a liability? No. Do we need to be shopping him because we are so up against the cap this year and next year that we have to get rid of him? We're a little up no. against the cap this year, um, a little bit. But, I mean, we are now at week eight. Who gives a shot. fuck? What are we going to use that money for? Yeah, the, the, this year's shot. I mean, the, the question's about next year. And no, we don't need to – we're not up against it next year. So it's not a – we have to do a fire sale to save and, the future. And I, I made no. this point about um, Dayon Buchanan, which you know, after we did the show, it was confirmed that it was a one-year deal. And I, the point I made was I hope it's a two-year deal because you can always cut him next year if you don't need him. But it's nice to have good depth. And if he manages to flash like the player he used to be in this system, then wouldn't you want him already guaranteed for next year at a certain salary instead of them being like, ah, fuck, now we got to pay him more money or find a better guy? I feel the same way about Alec Ogletree. You know, we all assume that we're going to upgrade from him and cut him, but just in case we don't, or, you know, just in case we draft a guy that needs, you know, six, seven weeks to get into the groove of really taking the starting position, just keep the fucking guy in the roster. Well, again, with these trades, it, it all goes back to the same thing about the Nick Solder discussion. What's the market for him? Yeah. 
mean, everybody wants to trade him not because of any other reason, but they think he stinks. So, you know, if you think he stinks and the league thinks he stinks, what, what are you getting for him? We, he's, he's not such a liability that he just has to be off the roster. It's not a, an addition by subtraction thing. It's so, I mean, again, you, know, you get what you pay for. In your trades. poop doesn't, your, your poop doesn't smell like roses as anybody else. If you think he's poop. Um, here, here's where I'm going to flip on this game, and I'm going to tell you why I thought they were going to come back and win. This offense was actually fucking okay. clicking. A couple of stupid mistakes here and there, but Daniel Jones was 28 of 41 for 322 and four touchdowns. He, reco- he Yes, yeah. he had the same fucking thing where he got hit from behind and he fumbled the ball, but he recovered it himself this time. And I thought, you know, my main gripe about him has been this guy's got the athleticism in his legs, but he just always seems to either run or stand in the pocket. He doesn't move. This week, he moved in the pocket. It was almost as I was talking to him this whole week. He actually, I mean, it was a little sluggish, but he did it. You know, he slid up and out of the pocket, kept his eyes downfield, didn't immediately look to run, you know, didn't just stay in there and take his lumps. He's getting there. And 28 of 41 for 322, four touchdowns. At the beginning of the season, if we thought week eight he'd be doing that, you and I would have high-fived through the air, right? Yeah, and even the fumble for the touchdown early in the game – he got um, blasted. I actually – I'm giving I mean, that, Saquon Barkley a fart for that. You know me better than anyone to know yeah. that my biggest thing is at the yeah. NFL level – and this is something you learn in Pee Wee. If the ball's on the ground, mm-hmm. just fucking pick it up. Just pick it up. Yeah. Assume that no, the wrong no, no, call no. is going to be made. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the actual – because the, the problem with Daniel Jones has been the, the the handling of the ball when he gets hit. You know, sometimes it's just like, you know, not lack of – you know, awareness or something, and in you know, he fumbles. This was something where he well, just he also, really got he was blasted. Doing where... the right thing, he was throwing to the right read at the time. That is, that mm-hmm. was the correct play. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, if he was doing what it looked like, he was throwing at the feet of Barkley for an incomplete pass. Live to die another day. Um, I, mm-hmm. I it's live to fight another day. I'm an idiot. Um, it was another day. You know, he got. He was a tick too late on that one. You know, and that's what I expect from him going forward. What I don't expect is Saquon Barkley to just stand there and let the ball wobble around on the ground and then sort of half-assed try and make a tackle. That was – I was furious. Um, anyway, but but yeah, I thought that Daniel Jones played a good game today. If he were a third-year veteran, I would say that he played an okay game. But that's not where we're at with him. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think he played a good game, regardless of what he was. I mean, he made some he made some throws. He's developing chemistry with some of his receivers. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're gonna see green shoots of you know that looks really good and promising, and then there's gonna be the the crappy days. And uh, this was one of the days where you you know you're encouraged. So I have no problem with the way he played. Yeah, and and I think that the offense was really clicking from like. I don't know, the, the the entire second quarter all the way through to like the middle of the third quarter was like really just chunking out yards. Um, we we ended the first quarter with a touchdown on a, a pass to Darius Slayton. We started the second quarter with a touchdown da- pass to Darius Slayton. Um, I, I, you know, and just, just of course to piss me off, Darius Slayton had a, a pretty bad drop at the end of the second quarter that would have set up a field goal. Um, oh, well. But then, you know, we go right into the third quarter. There's another touchdown. And then there was the turnover on downs at the in in the fourth quarter there. 
twice, and both of them kind of, I don't know, they were just wonky. But overall, the offense was moving in ways we have not seen in a while. Again, my grain of salt for this is of this is not a very good Lions team, but that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant to what we're seeing on the field. Uh, We're seeing improvements. Mm -hmm. Golden Tate, you know, I don't think anyone can complain about his play. I don't think anyone can complain about the contract anymore. I think he's easily becoming the most consistent piece on this team. Well, I mean, he's the best receiver we have. And he's being paid like he's the best receiver we have. So you should kind of expect it. I mean, after, you know, he was out for four weeks and, you know, now he's getting back into the groove. He should be our number one receiver. That's that's the big gripe with Nate Solder, right? Is he's paid to be the best offensive lineman. Is he? Golden Tate is being paid to be the best wide receiver. Can you really complain about his contract? Yeah, no, I think I think they're two separate situations. I think Nate Solder was such a a need that we needed somebody we'd have to overpay. I don't feel we had a we had to overpay for Golden Tate just to oh, get I agree a Golden with you. Tate. Yeah, yes, yeah. so I, I think it's a different standard that both are 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 to be held to. He should Golden Tate should be held at a higher standard than Nate Solder is. You know, when you're talking about contract and things like that. Okay, I think everybody is aware now that that Darius Slayton was. Probably the the biggest gem in this draft for us. I mean, it, coming out of Auburn was really not on anybody's radar. I mean, you watch the SEC better than anybody I know. Was he really even on your radar? Yeah, not really. No, I mean, their their offense last year was was very bad. Auburn's it was something where Gus Malzahn was on the hot seat before the season started, uh, and it wasn't for you know having a really good defense they'd be dreadful. So to see him all you know all of a sudden you know. Doing as well as he's doing this early in his career is is pretty surprising, and you know, put that in the ledger of all the people who want to fire Gettleman for not knowing who he wants to do. I guess those don't count, huh? Well, I mean, here's what I'm going to say about Darius Slayton: Is he a number one receiver? No, no. But he does what a is number he, three receiver does, right? He wins his one on one matchups. Was he drafted for to be number one receiver? I, no, but but that's my point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, for exactly. what he was drafted like, for, he is yeah. playing it as better as, as good as you can. You know, right. he, he's got the top end speed. He's winning his one-on-one matchups. He's winning contested catches. I mean, the, the the two catches he made, I would have guessed he had been kicking around in the NFL, you know, whether on a practice squad or, you know, just riding the pine for about two to three years. Definitely yeah. not a rookie. Not Would not yeah. have expected that. Um, I, I truly thought that there was a chance – you know, before the turnover on downs and late, late, late in the fourth quarter, that this team had a, a a good shot to come back and win this game. They found ways to ruin it for themselves. I mean, the missed fucking extra point is like such yeah, a I'm, pain in the ass. Uh, let me let me just say something about this. I don't know if I've riffed on this before, but I think that is one of the stupidest rule changes the NFL's had in the last twenty years. The whole point of the extra point. It's not supposed to be an exciting play. You know, people who love the rule chain say, Oh, you know, it, it was boring, you know, just kicking and getting an automatic one point. The whole purpose of kicking an extra point is it is supposed to be a guaranteed one point. If you want to risk it and go for two, you can risk it and go for two. But if not, it's a coach's decision. The sure one or going for two. Now, it's no longer a sure thing for one. It's just kind of like, you know, where there's no need for excitement in a situation like this, and it ends up screwing teams. 
So I, I just think it was a stupid, it was a stupid implementation of a rule that nobody really wanted, and the people who did, you know, who need to have excitement in every single snap and every single play, you know, that's it, it's really dumb. And it, every time it happens, you see a miss extra point. It's like that's just foolish. That's not the point of extra points. Yeah, I was not a big fan of it, and one of the things that I hated about it, and not that it happened often, but it eliminated the fake extra point. Just won't yeah. happen now. And now, you know, let's just say it's not even a fake. It's just a bad snap. Pfft, yeah. Due to your chances of getting it on two now, you get a bad snap. You're going to throw from, what, 30 and, yards away? And by the way, nobody is going for two more than they used to before the rule changed. Too. Yeah. So if, you're, if, you're, if your whole point was, well, the excitement of missing a kick, well, that to me is not exciting. It's annoying. And B, to hope that they go for two more, well, it's just not happening. So I don't know why they did it. And it ends up screwing teams more than anything. Yeah, um, stupid. Um, yeah. Pete, here, I'm just going to touch on this since we're talking about coaches. We've already done our bit on Pat Shermer. Um, but, you know, he, he got a little bit of flack on going for two in that situation. I guess, quote, early on in the game. I don't have a problem with it there. And quite frankly, the play was called right. It was a bad throw by Daniel Jones. You had Darius Slayton wide open. The play call was perfect. Um, it was just poor execution. But nevertheless, I mean, at that point where you're at, it doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? They, it, this isn't this isn't like some wonky amount of point where you're you're trying to go for two so that you're like within three or you you cut down on stuff way late in the game where it's like that you legitimately missed an extra point at this point. You now you're just making up points. Uh, I I have no problem in that scenario. You know, if you have like another scenario where it's like, well, if we go for two here, then we, then we're eight points away, and that way we can go for two again and potentially play for the tie. It's like really out there and bizarre. This is not that situation to me. I think Shermer is not getting the benefit of the doubt from the fans for other questionable decisions he's made so far. So when something like this happens, where it's one of those, well, they went for it, whatever. It's just gonna, you know, it's kind of piling on the. Another dumb decision by him where people's minds are rapidly being made about his play calling and judgment of things. So I get it. It's just, you know, that's the point of our podcast is to uh, dial it back <laughs> a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I, – I thought that it was a, an entertaining game. Um, this isn't a dreadful Detroit Lions team. It's, a, it's not a very good one, but – and, and I know there's no moral victory of hanging in there with them, but I wasn't ready to turn the game off. You know, it's like kind of the running joke between one of one of the guys I work with, uh, who used to be my boss, is an older guy, has been like, "Oh man, our our, our teams." And I was like, "Wait, well, man, at least you get to turn the game off at halftime." And you know, I say that as a joke because he can spend his Sunday doing something else, but I'd rather be in the game every week than turning it off at halftime because we're that bad. We're not that bad. It, was, it wasn't It was a turn-off game, but I will admit, the third quarter I was laying on the couch and I was close to dozing. I didn't, but it was just kind of like, I never, again, I never got that sense that we were going to win this game. So I was just kind of like watching it, taking notes, looking at things, but you know, a little, you know, maybe because it was raining outside. Maybe yeah, because, I think it uh, might be. The third quarter is a five-point game. Detroit didn't score again until they... Got a fucking flea flicker to work. 
I mean, yeah. when you win on that kind of hokey bullshit, you're really not doing too much on off. You're not really controlling the game at that point. And they weren't. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a question of them controlling the game. It was just the opposite. Like, I just didn't feel like we were going to take the bull by the horns in this game. Yeah. I and, know. I, you know, it's just that's kind of how I felt during it. You know, I think I, I think if the situation was different, if we were a, uh, you know, a, a, a three and three team or something or a four and three team, I might have felt better. I just you I were just say, ready for the loss is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I. I I firmly believe in losers lose until you're no longer a loser. Okay. And until until we're no longer a loser, I think losers lose. All right, all right. So my my question to you is, would you compare the way you were feeling on Sunday to the way you were feeling in the middle of the Bucks game at like halftime? Because you and I both thought that game was a sunk cost walking into the stadium. We thought it yeah. was a sunk cost while watching it, and then all of a sudden we saw this turnaround that I don't know about you, but I was still like, oh, man, at least we put up a good fight. I, I still didn't see a win happening. And, of course, it came on a missed field goal, but. Yeah, we, we, we pretty much. I mean, it was very it was very impressive coming back from the 19 points down and everything. And um, but for all intents and purposes, we did lose that game. They well, we didn't win it. They lost. Yes. Um, so what, what's your question? Do I would, feel... you, would, would you say that you felt similarly? Sunday watching the Lions versus when we watched the Bucks together, or is it just changed because it was live? It's different when you're there versus on TV. I mean, you're not laying on the couch and you're in a stadium. <laughs> well, I mean, the gut uh, feeling of what you're watching. Uh, there was there was something about Jones's first start and the fact that there was a newness that I don't think you know Tampa Bay had. Pre- had enough film on him to do anything where some of those runs he did and some of the things he was doing, I, th- I thought caught them a little off guard. I thought there was a shot. All right. I mean, as you were coming back, I mean, when we were down 19, I, there was no way it was like, well, first of all, they also stopped doing things like stop throwing the Mike Evans and that they, they, they stopped doing what they were doing to blow us out. And, you know, that's a combination, I think of, of bad coaching in that game. And, you know, their defense is pretty rough and, and Jameis, you know, being a wild card too. So, um, I didn't think they were coming back until it was really close. And then when momentum was cl- – and that was the other thing too in the Buck game for this game. The Giants never had really real momentum building where in that Buck game it started building. And it was like, you know, they may come back in this game. Uh, I don't know. I guess. I I don't know. I guess. I thought this was a close game in my opinion. Um, by by the third, third quarter, I thought this was a back and forth that, game that could be – no, no, no. That is the difference between being a close game and a game I thought they were going to come back, they were going to win. I never thought they were going to win this game. I did. But, I mean, it was a close game, relatively close, I guess, but I just never felt they were going to win. It's two different things in my my headspace, I guess. Whatever. I feel like we're splitting (laughs) hairs. I just feel like we're splitting hairs. No, no. I mean, the game could be close, but it's just like they're, you know, sometimes you know, like, they got this team. They're like one or two plays away from breaking this team. I never back. said they had that. I knew. I'm saying that no, I thought there was a feeling. chance. Yeah, I thought. To me, this was a game that one play could make or break it. That's what oh, I, I mean, felt like. And for I mean, me, the make or break break play is they got fucking hosed on the not hosed. What am I looking for? They just got burned on the flea flicker. I mean, other than that, Detroit was not moving the ball late in the game. Then they get this hokey college play to work. And, you know, 
got nobody to blame but yourself, but you know, that's the break play. If that play didn't work, I, I maintain that the Giants were actually moving the ball on offense meticulously down the field, you know, to the point where they, they were going to break off a win there. But they, but they didn't step up when it counted. Right, and I think that's something that this team's going to have to learn how to do sure. is step up and keep on with – and that's, that ties into losers lose. Of course. I mean, yeah, and I think that's, that's a, a culture shift that has to happen, and it has to happen – you, know, you just have to play. You know, you just have to get experience. We, we, there's a lot of young guys on this team. They're led by, you know, the the best players on this offense besides Golden Tate are all rookies or second year guys. You know, and they have not been through what it takes to win in the NFL. I mean, Saquon Barkley's in his second year. He doesn't know what winning is in the NFL yet. Your your quarterback's a guy who's played for five games, and he also, I hate to bring this back to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Never really enjoyed that much success in college either. And, you know, it's it's not to say he's a loser, but he hasn't experienced winner's win. I agree with that. Yeah. And that, that's that's something that I think a lot of fans take for granted is that the, at the NFL level, most of these guys have done nothing but win their whole lives. And it's an adjustment for them. You know, you look and, and at it, guys who go to Alabama, you know, and – like like Dalvin Tomlinson, I mean, how many games in college did he lose? Yeah, and, and if they're not winning games, they have dominated yeah. on smaller schools individually. But not even smaller per- schools. I mean, they go to the national championship. They're playing the best in the country, and they're still winning. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about like let's say you, you didn't go to Alabama. Let's okay. say you went like let's say you're Jerry Rice, okay, who went to you know Missouri Valley State or wherever he went to. So maybe they weren't winning national titles. Maybe they were. I don't know if they were, but like six and five. But he dominated so much on a personal level. That's a, a personal win. Mm-hmm. So you, there is a level of confidence and a winner's win about them. And you know this team doesn't have that yet at, at, at this pro level. Or you've, so, but I think there's I, there's even a sense that losing is an adjustment for these people, and they don't always know how to react yeah. right. Well, for everybody, I mean, even if you you know. That you lose six games a year in the NFL, you're probably making the playoffs. Yeah. You lose six games a year in in college, you're not even making a bowl game. Yeah. And you're a disgrace. You know. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it is a lot of maturing that has happens from the college game to the pro game. Is like, so about you know that's why that's why freshmen don't play in the NFL. They're physically not ready. And they're not mentally not ready. Mm-hmm. And it's not like college basketball into the NBA where one individual guy can make so much of a difference to turn around an NBA team immediately like a LeBron James or someone. It's too much of a you team need, game. It's too much of a team game, exactly. Even if you're the greatest quarterback in the history of the planet, you know, if your team around you is garbage, you're going to have very limited success early on. One thing I noticed, and I texted you during the game about this, was uh, I noticed that Saquon Barkley's not on the field a lot in third down. And I'm wondering if is that just because he is not doing a good job of pass blocking his, his responsibilities or not? But uh, I saw Wayne Gallman out there quite a bit on third down, and that's interesting. Yeah, I I, I don't me. know. I, I think his pass blocking is fine. I don't think it's you know the greatest in the game as from a running back position. But you know, I I think I don't think they're pulling him off for that. I think it, part of it is to show different looks on third down because third down is the most important down. Um, I think, and I, well, if it is, I, I want my most. I agree with you, but you have to remember there. that on third down, we're throwing the ball more than not. 
And I'm not saying that Saquon Barkley can't be a part of the receiving game because I think he was actually a star in the receiving game this week. But I, I think that Wayne mm-hmm. Gallman is no slouch. I think that also, and more importantly, they're still limiting his workload a little bit coming back from injury. Because remember, it's not normal that he's back and playing as well as he is from this injury so soon. And remember that this is a massive investment. He's too important to lose. So I I, I, could, I could buy that too, but it, you can manage his workload in other ways. You know, When it's third and five or third and four and you need a first down, I'd rather have him playing than if it's second and 11 or something and he's out there. I, I don't know. You know, that's, that's just so it, – it, it's so scenario-driven. You know, if you're – if you're winning, you know, maybe I agree with you. When it's close, I don't know that I agree with you. And you know, it's second and eleven, you gotta get yourself to a manageable position. And it's third and five, are you are you throwing? Um is it possible? I mean I mean yeah. think about it. If you're I, I don't really know how to argue this properly, but I mean I, I mean if if you're gonna work if you're gonna manage his workload because he's coming back from injury, then he doesn't play a series. You just rest him. And get him back out there or something. I, I don't know. I just, I just something I just noticed more a couple of times. Like, wow, Gallman's out there again on third down, and maybe wonder about is it a pass blocking thing? It seems like an irregular pattern to manage workload. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't see anything funky about Barkley's pass blocking, but uh, I did see mm-hmm. uh, people. Maybe some people will be happy out saying this. I saw a lot funky with Nate Solder's pass blocking. He gets a fart from me this week, and it's not because I think he's terrible. It just it's it's so frustrating because it seems to be that week after week he plays just average, you know, for most of the game, and then in the most critical spots in the third and fourth quarter, he just shits the bed like five plays in a row where he just gets dominated, and it's just it's it, they're drive killers, you know. He had a holding penalty on on our own flea flicker that went for took twenty five something yards, you know. He got absolutely beat by Trey Flowers on a sack fumble and then on the next play got bowled right back into Daniel Jones again for a sack. I mean, he's just it's just the most critical times he just falls apart and in all the other times he's just okay. He gets he gets a fart from me. I'm sure some people will be happy I'd finally shitting on the guy, but is it possible he's hurt? Of course. Or some nag- nagging something because you know how old is he? Uh, 30, 31, something like that. All right, so he's still late prime, maybe slightly off his prime of his career. You know, the drop-off has been pretty precipitous this one year, and it, when I see something like that happen that fast, I wonder yeah. about is there an injury or something that's going on like that because, you know, and, and no people out there, this is not Eric Flowers 2.0. Not even close. I mean, stop with that already. So, you know... And again, if you want to get rid of him, tell me who's ba- who's replacing him. This is the this is unfortunately the hand we're dealt at this moment, and we have to deal with it. Um, and I, I don't want to dwell on this, but uh, I'm going to give a dishonorable mention to the referee staff. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's why we lost the game. It's not, but I, I it just seems so disorganized. Um. I could probably have a whole episode on how fucking annoying the running into the kicker penalty was because it was just so ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen before so many flags picked up in one game. And on both sides, it just seemed disorganized between well, all members of the referees. I, I, I think the problem really – I think there's two problems that are kind of like coming to a head this season. 
one, I think the specter of replay is really starting to spook these guys. And I feel, really feel that refs look at replay as an indictment that they're bad. It's not a question of bad. It's a question of getting the call right. And there is a that perception that if a call is overturned by replay, that you made a mistake. No, the mistake is if the wrong call and final decision stands. I mean, we see it all the time. If somebody, you know, uh, somebody catches the ball, maybe one foot or two feet out, and he originally calls it, and the other side judge comes running down the field and says, no, 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 I had a better look, and it's okay. It's just there's something about replay that's just spooking these guys, and they're panicking. And, and the second thing also is they change the rules so, many, so much now, and they make these rules so convoluted almost on a yearly basis that I, I just think it's impossible for these guys to make the right calls on some of these things. You know, what's the definition of a catch changes every single year. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's, they're making the rule book more difficult and they're making the rule book more difficult the wrong way because you have better ways to enforce rules and they're making these rules more difficult and everybody's going haywire for trying to interpret the right rules and now like we mentioned about the you know not overturning the pass interference on the challenge you're getting these refs are not just enforcing what the rules are so to me i really think the big change in this has to happen in football in the next couple of years in addition to making you know thinking about player safety is going through the entire rule book and saying what rules really are advantageous for the game and are not advantageous for the game. And I mean that by saying the overall entertainment value of the game. If every rule out there is so technical and ticky-tack that it, it, it kills from the flow of the game. You know, they call holding on every play that they could or couldn't. Change the rule. You know, is it is it the worst thing in the world is somebody grabs a jersey. If, if, if otherwise you're going to call that penalty every single time and you just have a, a four-hour game and people hate the flags being called, you know, what is a catch? You make it so difficult that you have to be, you know, have a slide rule to know what it is. So I, I really think the frustration is, you know, a rule book is too hard. Replay allows you to see, you know, to enforce a rule much more accurately, which makes, you know, this whole thing this inferiority complex with refs and something has to be done because you're just going to get these just boring you know slogs of games and all these interpreting rules yeah i mean we've had this discussion before but you know i think i think you make a good point refs being afraid of replay and afraid of being called out um and i i do think that uh sometimes the rule book is a little too too wordy it's just too much shit. Yeah. I mean, something as simple as what is a catch should not require, you know, a Supreme Court decision and an interpretation. You know, make it simple. And, you know, I also would get rid of the challenge. <laughs> Honestly, I think it- – Well, at this point, they're they're almost useless. Well, I say that the- – You know, there's so much stuff is automatically reviewed that it's just – No, I, I, what I mean by like – it, it, the the replay official should be an equal voice in it. Oh yeah, and should, yeah. And I, I don't think that you know 
every time a, a, a coach doesn't like the way something went, they're calling a challenge, whether it's, you know, really obvious or not. And to me, I think is also, it takes away that ego, I think, from the, the referees. He's challenging me? Oh, fuck him. You know, but if it's someone, yeah. if, if it's a peer, you know, buzzing in and saying, we need to look at this again, then, you know, I, I think you get rid of some of that. And also, I think the getting rid of the original call and making the official yeah. have the override and say, this is my call. I have a better view of it. I'm making decision from there. You know, if these guys are all on the same equal page, a lot of this goes away. And you have a, yeah, and, and, the, the intangible things. Right. The most important thing that everybody wants is the right call. Rules are rules. Enforce the rules. Don't be the story. Don't deviate from what the rules are. It's, it's just been a, it's been a uh, people like oh replays bullshit because they, they never get it right anyway. No, they're not being allowed to make it the right way. Make yeah. make it yeah. grease the skid so they can make the right call because all you want is the right call. There's too much money in this league now between you know TV and and gambling and all these things that having wrong calls is. It, that's the rule, you know. A, a the rule book is no different than a yard stick or a you know a, a a chalk line. Yeah, it's a set of standards. Yeah. Um, real quick before we end tonight, we got to go over uh, the Giants trade. Um, exciting news, I guess. I mean, whether whether you like it or not, it's exciting in that you know it's not often done. Giants were active; they traded away nobody. But they did acquire uh, defensive lineman Leonard Williams from the New York Jets, formerly of USC, right? Is that right? That's correct. Um, Was dominant in college. He was a very high draft pick in the first round. Um, You know, I don't know that he was really dominating at this level, but I think he's a very good defensive lineman. And they have given – you know, I'm not sure I understand this because – there's just so many scenarios. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I'm not really sure about that. I mean, it could be in working on an extension with him right away. I don't know why he would sign such a thing, but maybe. Um, but he would be the only one really making big money on the defensive line. You know, the rest are all in rookie contracts. So, you know, there's that. It could be insurance in case... Gettleman doesn't think that he can afford the likes of Dalvin Tomlinson or B.J. Hill when they're ready for their big payday. Um, I'm not really sure. But they gave up relatively little for a former first-round pick. They gave up a third-round pick, and they have one right now, but they're projected to get a second one for the uh, departure of Landon Collins. So they essentially gave up a third for a first. In a, in a certain sense, you know, at first I heard that and I was like, ugh, eye roll. But they kind of did. I mean, having two third-round picks is essentially having one to, to burn on a guy you already know is pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, say a third for a first. I mean, you're no longer a first. It's kind of like a new car going off the lot. It's you. no longer worth $30,000. It's instantly worth $20,000. And as we've seen with a guy like Eric Flowers, like, yeah, you know, uh <laughs> Jacksonville has a first-round pick all of a sudden. Oh, I but mean, not come on. I mean, we're not yeah. going to be ridiculous world here. Right, right, right. But um, I don't know. I think 
if you're the Giants, you're trying to pick up talent around the margins where you can, and you could be a, you, you can take some shots where, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, if you lose third and a fifth, mm, it, for what the potential for getting back is, it's, it's not the it's not the craziest trade I've ever heard of, and it's also something that's not gonna make me all of a sudden book my uh, my plane tickets to Miami this year either. I think it's something where you you know you see if it works out and you know they um, Gettleman is a guy that believes in the lines and, and strengthening your offensive and defensive line. And this is a way to, to to take a flyer on somebody. So we'll see. This is his this is his tryout period right now. Yeah, um, I don't have a strong opinion on it, and I'm certainly not going to give an opinion before I see how he does in a different defense with a different coach. You know, so yeah. Um, again, trades are not one and first of all, trades are not usually one and lost. They're usually pretty even. Um, and they're certainly not one and lost the day it happens. We don't know how this will pan out. Um, I, I'm not overly ecstatic about it. I don't feel like we came away like bandits, but at the same time, this is a defense we've just been railing on for not getting pass rush consistently. So we'll see how this helps it. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's not something I'm going to be thinking about all night, but it's, you know, it's not also something that's going to make me, it's not something that's kind of taking us off course from a rebuild either. So you, you take a shot and you see what happens. Yeah. But uh, that's, you know, really all we have for tonight. So we will go over um, the preview for week nine on Thursday night. So ready for your ears Friday morning. Oh, it's kind of, what a weekend. We have Florida, Georgia, and we have Giants-Cowboys this weekend. Woof. <laughs> Sensory overload for the cranky fan. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you'll be you'll be on cloud nine. Uh, <laughs> but you'll actually uh, – you'll be next to me at Giants Stadium, MetLife? Oh, uh, it's, it's looking like it. We have to see, okay. see how uh, – see how the old ticker is holding up. But yeah, the plan is to be, at, uh, to be with you Monday night. All right. Oh, that's right. It's a Monday night game. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> not not a huge fan of going to those. Fuck. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll give you our uh, our feelings on Monday night games in the Monday night crowd and the and the preview show for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, everyone. We'll catch you later this week. Go Giants. Go Giants.